Hey everyone, welcome to another uh, edition of the One Who Plants podcast. I know what you're thinking, we're coming in hot and heavy here, uh, two, two podcasts dropping in two weeks, uh, which for me is quite something, because usually I uh, have a lot more time between them. Uh, but uh, one of my goals for the year was to try to, to get these out more regularly, uh, but January was just, yeah, <laughs> January is a rough month uh, for me. I'm not going to get into all, but uh, it didn't happen. But uh, here in February, I'm hoping to get these out more regularly, and uh, especially as as Lent gets on. My plan is to uh, to have one uh, every week looking at uh, uh, different hymn writers, different authors of some of our famous hymns, looking at their stories uh, uh, weekly. Uh, but I'm not doing that today. Today we're going to do one, uh, one other Black History Month uh, individual, uh, someone who's pretty obscure, maybe... I doubt you've heard of him. I never, I had never heard of him uh, until doing uh, some research here this week. Uh, but I thought he was a kind of an interesting character, just for me personally, as a as a Lutheran pastor, uh, because it's the first, uh, well, it's the first Black Lutheran pastor, uh, and so I think it's a a story that uh, probably could be told. Uh, and I think as you hear the story, it's he's a pretty interesting character and definitely uh, somebody worthy to to have their name known a little bit more. So today we're going to talk about uh, Jehu Jones Jr. Uh, again, it's probably not a name you're familiar with. Uh, I'm not going to show up in a lot of history books, but uh, he was a pretty remarkable man. Uh, so he was born uh, in Charleston, South Carolina in 1786. He was born into slavery. Uh, his father was named Jehu Jones Sr., and Sr. was a remarkable man in his own right. Um, he probably could have his own podcast episode too. Uh, he was a pretty uh, amazing figure, um, so much so that uh, he did something that was, I mean, it, it happened, but it was really rare. You hardly ever heard about it happening, and I'll be honest, I wasn't all that f- familiar with, with this ever happening, uh, but he was someone who actually bought himself out of slavery, which which could happen uh, in the South, uh, well, in, anywhere in America, because at this point, the slavery is still everywhere. Um, but this could ha- happen, but it was just very rare, because it was hard for, you know, slaves to earn money. You know, you typically wouldn't, uh, especially if you're living on a plantation or something. You're not getting paid for your work. You're, that's the whole point of slavery. It's You don't have to pay the people. You just have to buy them, and then it's free labor. Um, but some slaves could make money, especially if they were skilled, right? If they had, if they had a skilled profession or a ability that they could use, that their master would then kind of hire them out. Um, and this is ripe for exploitation, as you could imagine. I mean, slaves wouldn't often get paid the full wage or maybe even any of it. Uh, I mean, there's still property. Uh, but often in these situations, and, and this is true for Jehu Jones Sr., is that uh, as he's out doing his, his skilled work, and for him he was a tailor, he was an excellent tailor, right? And as he's doing this, he gets paid. He gets either a percentage or maybe even all uh, of the payment for, for what he's doing. Right? And so he's able to do this, to go out and work as a tailor um, and to save up money, and to eventually buy his own freedom. Not just his, but his entire family's. 
right? Which is, again, it's a pretty remarkable thing to do. Uh, but he wasn't done there, right? So he, after he gets his freedom, he sets up his own tailor shop, which again, he's he just has to have been really good at this because he finds immense success there um, and he uh, starts amassing money. Uh, and now he is earning it all to himself because he doesn't have a master, he's free. And he's able to... Uh, to start buying real estate, he becomes an innkeeper. Uh, he opens up a hotel, uh, a, a hotel that actually is quite successful. It caters to white people, and it's kind of almost a luxury hotel. Like just, it's a rem all of it's pretty remarkable for any slave to be doing. Uh, and he does it, and he builds himself kind of this little empire. Really, I mean, empire is a, a big word, but he builds himself a really successful life, uh, which for a, a, a slave to do. Uh, was again almost unheard of um, and that's and so that's the situation that Jehu Jones Jr. grows up in right he was a slave uh, for some of his childhood he, they were freed in 1798 so uh, for a good chunk of his childhood he was born into slavery and yet he, he rises up out of that uh, him and his family he he starts working as a tailor alongside his father uh, something he seems to be uh, good at as well and they find success there um, and just everything's going great for this family um, but Jehu Jr uh, even though he has this great role model to look up to and this <laughs> this his dad who refused to let his, his status or race define him uh, he doesn't really want to follow exactly in his father's footsteps. I mean, he kind of does. He, he looks up to his dad as somebody who rises up uh, and does something uh, remarkable, but uh, he doesn't want to do it the same way, I guess. Right? He doesn't want to just be a tailor because uh, Junior becomes really, really in involved and kind of uh, just enraptured by, by the church. Um, and not just any church, but the Lutheran church. Uh, which is something he converts to later in life. Uh, growing up, he, he was part of a religious household. Senior and his family would go to church. They were Episcopalian. Uh, but in 1820, uh, Junior is, is drawn towards, uh, towards Lutheranism. And we're not sure why. Um, we know that this is really Lutherans for, for the first time now, especially down in South Carolina, are, are even allowing blacks to worship with them. Um, they would have to buy a pew and they were segregated in, in the church, but they could come and worship in white congregations. And so maybe the the appeal of that uh, was there for him. Or uh, We don't know exactly what drew him there. I like to think it was the theology because I, I love Lutheran theology, being a Lutheran myself. Uh, but for whatever reason, he becomes involved in this Lutheran church, uh, St. John's Lutheran Church there in Charleston. Uh, and there he, he, he thrives, and he grows in his faith, and he becomes really a leader in that church, so much so that in 1832, his pastor, John Bachman, uh, encourages him to enter the ministry, which uh, in the Lutheran church in, in America there, a black person had never done. Right? There had never been uh, uh, someone of African descent ordained in, in the Lutheran faith uh, here in America. Uh, but... Jehu feels that call, and so he travels to uh, to New York to be ordained because, well, he wasn't allowed to be ordained in South Carolina, being black. So he had to go up north to New York to be ordained, and he is uh, after he's ordained and he's made a pastor, the first black pastor again in 
uh, in the Lutheran Church here in America. He is commissioned as a missionary. Uh, his plan is to go to Liberia, which is this country in, in Africa where, uh, at this point in history, uh, uh, American evangelists, uh, evangelists, Sorry, uh, they were uh, they were sending uh, freed slaves as they thought it would be better. You know, they'd have a better chance at a at a new life back in Africa than uh, than here in America. And you know, that's where they're from. They should send them back home. Uh, kind of thought, except they weren't sending them back to the countries they were from. They were sending them all to this same uh, country. I, I'm not going to get into that. There was, I mean, there was some good intentions there. It was kind of a mess. Uh, but that's his plan, is to go back to Liberia, because they want him to go minister to his own people, right? He's not, they're not going to put him in charge of a white church, obviously. He's got to—I mean, he's he still has to minister to black people, and so let's send him back to Africa to minister there. Um, but he never actually gets the chance uh, to go, right? Because before he, he heads off to Africa, he wants to go back and visit his family back in South Carolina. And so he does. He goes back to Charleston to visit his family, and while he's there, he's arrested. Uh, what is his crime? Literally being black and going to South Carolina is pretty much his crime, right? Because it's uh, it, right now South Carolina had, had actually just very recently made uh, a new law which made it illegal for freed slaves, which Jehu was, to return to South Carolina once they left. Right? Um, this comes after uh, a guy named Denmark Vesey who, who was a free slave, and he tried to lead a, a massive slave revolt uh, there in South Carolina. And so after that failed, um, the, the powers that be created these new really harsh laws uh, on, on black people and especially on free blacks because one of the things that they were terrified of in the South at this point in history was slave revolts because there were a lot of slaves down South. And they knew that, uh, and they were they were scared of this, and so they, you know, the way to kind of stop this from happening was to be very harsh, very harsh on black people and have very restrictive laws on what they could and could not do. And so that, so there's a bunch of new laws that are now on the books, uh, and this is one of them, right? If you're a free black, you leave South Carolina, you can't come back, right? Because we don't want too many. We don't want too many free blacks running around the place, I guess. Uh, or who knows what kind of ideas you're going to get off going up north. And yeah, We don't want you back. And so that's what he's arrested for. And so uh, as he's arrested, he's thrown in jail, and he misses his ship uh, for Liberia. So he doesn't get to go. Uh, he's eventually released from jail. He really doesn't spend that much time there, luckily. Um, but now he, you know, that opportunity, that window to go and and be a missionary in Africa is gone. So instead, now he moves to Philadelphia, and here he is tasked by uh, the the Lutheran Synod there uh, with with spreading Christ and establishing a church amongst the black people of Philadelphia. Uh, his his direct orders from the church is to labor as a missionary among the colored people in Philadelphia on their direction of our ministers, is the way it's phrased. Uh, and so in, in 1834, uh, he establishes a, a church. St. Paul's Lutheran Congregation is what it was called, the very first black Lutheran church in America. 
uh, a couple of years later, uh, they, they start out just kind of meeting, you know, in homes and, and uh, wherever they can. Uh, and uh, then a couple of years later, they bur- purchase a couple lots on Quint Street there in Philadelphia, and they begin building a, a church building. I mean, this is really an amazing thing for, for these people. Uh, to have a, a fully black congregation led by a black minister, it was it was a big deal, um, and so they they're building this church. Financially, it's tough for them to do that. They can't pay for it all. They have to take out uh, some big loans, uh, and and as this is going, they're they're being promised support by well the neighboring white churches and by the synod. Right? who says, you know, this is great, we want you to do this, uh, we understand you can't pay for it all, but we're going we're gonna to help you out and we'll support you financially and help pay off your loans and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and so while this is going on, while they're building this church, Jehu goes out and he continues to spread Christ. He, goes, he actually starts two more churches, one in uh, Gettysburg and one in Chamberburg, uh, both there in Pennsylvania. I mean, he's just doing amazing ministry amongst his community and his people. And, and yet while the church is growing and it's bringing in people and their building's complete now and they have this place to worship and, and everything is just, it's fantastic. Uh, the problem is there's, they still don't have a lot of money and they're still in debt. Right, because you know this church is made up of poor black families. Right? It's really, really, really hard at this point in history for black people to make much money, uh, even freed black people. It's it's tough, right? And so uh, this church is is growing and it's it's got this great ministry, but it's it's financially still struggling, right? And it's, it's struggling to make payments on the building and this this promised aid that you know the neighboring. White Lutheran churches and the Synod all, all promised, it just never comes, right? They don't receive any financial support from any local congregations, from the Synod itself, from the church body, just nothing, right? And so, so in 1839, just three years after the church is, is built and, and in use, uh, they're forced to sell the building, right, at a, at, the, at a sheriff's auction, right? They can't make their payments, uh, interestingly enough, this, this building is now owned by a, a Penn College musical theater troupe where they put on productions, uh, which is, yeah, <laughs> kind of sad in its own right. Uh, that is not a church anymore, especially. It, it never, it, as it gets sold, it, it never functions as a church again. It gets used by multiple groups multiple times, uh, but it stops being a church, uh, which is a huge blow, obviously, uh, to Jehu and, and to this St. Paul's congregation. Uh, but it doesn't stop him. Right? Even though they lose their building, they continue to be a church and continue to be a community of faith. He continues to be their pastor. Uh, they meet weekly at this at a local school that's there for a school designated kind of for African Americans. So they they start meeting there every week and still worshiping on Sundays and still being a church. Right, and that's really what he does the rest of his life. He faithfully leads this congregation that doesn't have a building because they can't afford one and no one's helping them to get one. Um, and so that's what he does. He, he leads this church, and, and he also becomes a very uh, vocal proponent for black rights. Right? In 1845, he organizes a, a convention at Temperance Hall there in Philadelphia, and he gives this rousing speech urging those in attendance, which are pretty much all uh, uh, black people, uh, to, to go out and to, to, to fight and to petition city leaders and to try to establish black civil rights uh, there in their, in their city, um, which... It was it was a great it was a great concept. It was very much needed. I mean, he's not alone in trying to fight for this. Uh, but there's a lot of white people, even white people in the north, even white people in 
part of his church leadership who's just not in favor of it. And so as he becomes more and more vocal on this, uh, you know, the Lutheran powers that be, the synod and the church body, they start to further distance themselves from Jehu and his congregation. Unfortunately, an act seen most clearly in 1849, where he, again, he, he has a missionary spirit, he, so he wants to go to New York City and start a black congregation there, but he's actually barred from doing so by the synod. They, they say, no, you can't go. And the reason they give is that, you know, in the past you've mismanaged all these finances and you have proven yourself to be an insufficient leader, uh, which is just a horrible thing to say because it's largely their fault in the first place as they never gave him the support that they initially promised. Uh, we actually have letters, many letters, that he writes to them um, talking about this, you know, about how you promised to support me, you promised to financially help me. Where is the money you promised? Where is the resources you promised? Where is this? I mean, we have all these letters for him asking for help, uh, and it, it never comes, which unfortunately is largely the story of American Lutheranism when it comes to uh, to race and multiculturalism, right? We, we love it in theory. We like supporting it in words, but in action, well... When it, that's another story. When it stiff gets too real, you know, when we, when the guys are outspoken on civil rights, well, when it might mean we have to change and might not have to be as comfortable when we start feeling uncomfortable, we, we pull back. Uh, that's unfortunately a story that's repeated itself a lot throughout history, and uh, you can still see it in some ways today. Um, but it never, it just never stops Jehu. Even though he never gets that support, he continues to lead his congregation until he dies. Um, which unfortunately is not long after after this after this rejection, uh, he dies in in 1852. He was 66 years old. Um, Saint Paul's the congregation dissolves a few years after his death. He was really the one holding it together, um, and then he's largely forgotten uh, throughout most of history. Which is probably why you haven't heard of him. It's really fairly recent recently that. Um, you know, that his memory has kind of been revived and people have been uh, writing and talking about his story. Um, which, again, is just kind of a... The, the whole story just kind of reflects the struggle uh, for these early African Americans, these early black leaders, as they, as they try to establish themselves, as they try to fight for their rights, as they try to, you know, be treated as equals. Um, it was hard. And they usually found stiff opposition and, a, you know, a lot of failure. Um, you know, we don't see real results in the civil rights movement for many, many years. I mean, 100 years after, uh, after Jehu. Um, I mean, it just takes a long, long time of struggle. Uh, and so he doesn't get to see, you know, his dream of, of a great black church and of black civil rights ever realized. But, but he is important in, in kind of building the foundation for that. And that's why I think he's, he's a story we should remember. He, he did everything he could uh, for his people uh, without much support. Uh, and it's, yeah, <laughs> if he was supported, who knows how much more he could have done because he was a remarkable figure. Um, but definitely worthy to be remembered. Uh, so that's the story of, of Jehu Jones Jr. Uh, again, Probably not next week with Ash Wednesday, but here coming up uh, as we get into uh, normal Lenten uh, weeks, uh, we'll be having more of these looking at hymn writers, so I hope you can look forward to that. Uh, otherwise, you know, go out and study some more uh, black history characters because there's a lot more uh, really interesting, great stories out there too. 
uh, and maybe I'll find another one yet. I don't know. Next week's going to be kind of busy, so we'll see. But uh, have a good uh, Ash Wednesday if I don't get anything out before that, and uh, have a good Lent, everybody, and have a just have a good rest of your week. All right, bye.